Uh, I am not going to be preaching the text uh, that's printed in your bulletin uh, this morning. Now, I've only done this one time in my 30 years uh, of ministry. Of course, the other time was 9-11. It was important to address uh, that situation as everybody was baffled uh, by that uh, horrific event. Uh, so please forgive me if I'm a little bit tied to my notes because I only began, uh, began this thir- uh, Friday afternoon. Uh, <clears throat> since the occurrence this week, I, I debated on whether what happened would be appropriate uh, for us to uh, address uh, this issue of race relations uh, and racial reconciliation. Uh, But we've had nine uh, African-American brothers and sisters uh, who have been viciously uh, gunned down. And if you're a Christian today, they are our brothers and sisters that we will meet again one day in heaven Uh, and we will live with them forever in absolute peace and harmony because through Jesus Christ if you're a Christian you've been adopted and you're part of the family of God as I was debating uh, about this On Friday afternoon, I received a Facebook post by an African friend, an American friend of mine, who is a Presbyterian minister in our our denomination. His name is Howard Brown. And he convinced me, uh, looking at his post that I will share with you in a moment, uh, that it's important for us to consider, really, what, what is it like to be a minority? What's it really like to be a minority? But because I believe that Redeemer, over the years, through downtown ministries and through downtown academy, and because we have African-American brothers and sisters who are members of this church, We have a unique opportunity uh, as a church uh, to go further in what it means uh, to bring racial reconciliation. Let me tell you a little bit about Howard Brown before I read what he had to say, before I read our text. Known Howard Brown for quite some time. He was a student in RUF at, at Clemson University about 20 years ago, I believe. I think he was already a Christian, but it was there that he started going to RUF. He began to understand the Reformed faith. And if you're you're not familiar with that, he came to understand that you're saved by grace alone. It has nothing to do with you. It's not cooperative justification, what God does and, and what you do. He understood that God had covenanted with him in Christ, the free gospel. And so he decided that he wanted to go to seminary and become a minister in our denomination. Uh, We now have 45 African-American ministers in the PCA. But it should be known that the Presbyterian Church 
in America for the last 200 years has not been very effective at reaching African Americans. Baptists have. Methodists have. Uh, we've also not been very effective at reaching rural people or blue-collar people. I think there's a reason for that. I think uh, because I think one of our great gifts to the church universal is our theology. Uh, because we want to answer questions, uh, we tend to be heady and heady people come. Doctors, lawyers, professionals. I saw a little bit of Howard's heart in, in, in what it has been like for him to be an African-American minister in our denomination. Uh, we just had our general assembly this, this past week. And he was addressing, uh, this is uh, actually uh, before the, 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 um, the event, the week before. Uh, <clears throat> he was uh, addressing the fact that we... Uh, tabled, um, and I think for some good reasons, because we like to do everything exactly right, um, <clears throat> a, a, um, a proposal to, to, to repent in specific areas uh, of uh, racism that we've had in our denomination. Uh, Dr. Baird, uh, who was one of the founders, uh, got up and spoke the, that week uh, and said that his repentance is not that, not that he didn't uh, have relationships uh, with African Americans, but at a time when the church should have really been there in the early 70s to promote racial reconciliation, he just didn't think about it. And so I want to read what uh, Howard had to say, and then I want to come to the text that I think addresses this issue. I am an African-American in the Presbyterian Church in America. And based on the last General Assembly's inability to leave with a united statement of repentance for evangelical arrogance and ignorance and racial civil rights movements, I could reason and believe that I am foolish to remain engaged here and even ridiculed by others in more socially progressive denominations. I thought about why God would have me here in such an apparently behind-the-times church. Not that I exhaustively know and can search the mind of God, but I got some insight that was helpful. It helps in times like this in our country to be in a denomination that is actively working and praying through these issues afresh. With all the masses going on, I am sharpened aware and actively engaged in a struggle for human dignity and are calling in it with brothers who are not where I may be on the issues, but together in Christ, holding on to the possibly opposite sides of the same boon of comfort, the Scriptures. It sometimes is unbelievable that some of my fellow pastors are reading the same Bible in the same world as I. But thanks be to God, it is fresh in the PCA. And that may be better in some ways than having been there and done that. I am a witness to the careful and in some cases slow, reluctant blossoming of ethnic and racial unity 
and social justice in our denomination. Along with those brothers who say, I can't believe that we can't see or accept this, or we've been warped by a conservative agenda, are the powerful testimonies and relationships and stories and examples of repentance. Praise God, help me God, pray for us. What he's saying is, I want to be here in this denomination. But because there is this great movement, as younger men are coming into the ministry as we're reflecting more and more upon what it means to open our eyes, not just to the world, uh, but to those around us. He's saying, I and the other 45 African-American ministers in the Presbyterian Church in America are, are thankful for the PCA and yet frustrated. Now, I want to look at a text that I think addresses very clearly um, the problem but the solution to the problem uh, uh, of how uh, we can become one, not just as blacks and whites in America, uh, but as international, uh, the church of Jesus Christ around the world. So I know that's a long introduction, but I thought necessary. Please turn to Ephesians if you have your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Paul has just talked how we were alienated from God, but through Christ uh, we've received grace. He's united us to him by grace. Uh, And in verses 11 that we'll be reading is alienation toward one another, but through Christ, reconciliation. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Jesus Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. Might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, uh, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we would learn from you today. We we thank you that you are 
the God of all people, that you are no respecter of persons by education or culture or race. So, Lord, we ask that this morning that you would give us a little bit of how Jesus looks at this world. Father, teach us to open our eyes to the needs of others, to those who are hurting, no matter their race or their educational status. Father, I pray that Redeemer would be a church uh, that is concerned for not only the nations, but for our neighbors. And we pray that you would bless this time that we have together. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. And some of you may be tempted to say, I'm not sure if the, the actions of a young man who is deranged, a white man who is deranged, would prompt a sermon on racial reconciliation. Uh, And you might even add, well, I'm not a racist. And uh, take a defensive mode saying, uh, this man's evil perpetrated on uh, this church does not warrant a sermon about race. But the very uh, thought, if you have that thought, I'm saying might well uh, be the problem for us uh, who are white. Uh, Some would even say that uh, race shouldn't be an issue. We should preach the gospel. He's like, man, I was looking forward to looking at Galatians 5. I need to know what it means to walk in the spirit. And that's kind of what social gospel is. Let me tell you at the heart of our philosophy of ministry. Let me tell you what the heart of it is. If you've been around Redeemer at all, um, bef- we believe this before we can minister the bomb of the gospel, uh, the life of the gospel, you need to understand somebody. Now, I know many of you, and I know that how I might apply it to one person, I might not apply it to the next person. And so what's true of an individual is also true of understanding and widening the way we think uh, in terms of how uh, those who are of another ethnicity or race or, or maybe a different culture that to try to engage and understand. And so that's why I want to do this that this, this, this morning. Can I give you an example? Let me give you an example. Okay. This week, I've actually gone to a number of black people and said, I want you to know how sorry I am of what has happened this week. And to a person, they were emotional about it. They didn't say, well, that just happened up there and, you know, some deranged white person. Or however we might look at it. I was uh, at Dunkin' Donut Saturday, Saturday afternoon. 
talking to the lady at, at the, uh, that was serving me my coffee through the window. And I told her, I said, you know, I want you to know something. I'm a minister, and I'm changing my sermon. I've done that once in 30 years because I have to work hard. <laughs> I manuscript everything. But I want you to know something. I'm changing it because I, I feel terrible. And, and want our church to enter into the pain. And she cried. I went to see Stuart, I mean, Wilson Latimer at Chestnut Mount Baptist this morning. I just walked over there. They're getting ready to have their morning service. And, and many of y'all know Wilson Latimer. I just wanted to go to Wilson and just tell him, I want you to know that Redeemer's praying. They're sorry. I, I, I couldn't get it out. And they hugged me. You know why? Because I think he understands. There's a sense where and our black brothers and sisters understand we don't understand. We go about our lives and, oh, our Christian brothers and sisters who are black or white, thankful for the church, but, but how many friends do you have that are African American? To sit down with them sometimes and, and talk with them about issues uh, concerning what they struggle with. Before I come to our text, which I think it hits the head, nail on the head of what the problem is and, and what the, uh, the, the solution is for a world divided by race and culture and class, I want to read one more post by Howard Brown. And again, I'm I know Howard. And he's been in our denomination for 20 years. Okay, I need to say one more thing. And listen to what he says. If your life is monoethnic, cultural or racial, and you don't perceive yourself in any situation as a minority or another ethnic or racial group, if you consider everyone else, if you consider everyone else ethnic except yourself, if your church allows you to be okay living out the gospel in this day and age in a monolithic congregation addressing monolithic issues from a monolithic perspective, to just go on to our monolithic neighborhoods and families, then perhaps you're lukewarm. Possibly even contributing to the problem of racial and ethnic disunity in this country. It's time for some, not all, and definitely most of us to pray and begin going to churches and seeking to become churches that are diverse. Yes, uh, you may lose power and control and dominion and will suffer social and even political loss. All racial groups, all racial groups, it's time we stop, start, stop being a part of the problem and be used by Jesus to be a part of the solution 
I know this is only one of the many struggles, uh, suggestions toward engaging our world with the gospel. Well, let me tell you this. He's right. But the good news is it is the gospel that addresses this issue. It's here in our text. Very clearly laid out uh, for us. Certainly our Lord Jesus was concerned about people that were not just Jewish. A Samaritan woman, you know the Samaritan woman, and for you younger people that don't know anything about Samaritans, they were half Jews and half Gentiles and despised by the Jews. But we find Jesus in John chapter 4 engaging a Samaritan woman who was not only despised by the Jews, but despised by Samaritans because she had been married five times. Who would give her the time of day? Not to mention the fact that she was living in adultery at the time Jesus promised her, I'll give you living water. Uh, Jesus addresses the problem with the Jews that they just completely missed the whole point of the Old Testament when he tells a parable of the Good Samaritan, right? The, the Jew who falls in a ditch and he's been beaten up and all the religious people, all the Jews, all the good church people, the Reformed people, they just walk right on by but not the Samaritan. Hated by probably the Jew in the ditch. So this is a very important issue in the mind of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I only have two points, and then I'll make uh, some pretty specific application. And I'll be brief on my points, but here's what I'd like to say this morning. Because God has reconciled us who are once enemies. We need to be reconciled to those near to us and those who are not like us. Would y'all agree with that? Would you agree that we need to be reconcilers? In fact, Paul tells us in, in 2 Corinthians 5 that because we've been reconciled to God, we are ambassadors. Paul says in another place that I've become all things to all people that I might win some. And so I think our repentance needs to go beyond whether you're falling into sexual immorality, uh, whether you gossip or whether you're envious or jealous and covetous. Those are great things to repent of. But maybe, just maybe, we're missing the point of repenting of the fact that we completely uh, ignore the racial situation. And I'm very humbled, to be honest with you, by the response by our brothers and sisters in Christ. Are, are y'all humbled by that? I mean, to a family. I mean, I thought maybe it was one or two. You're like, well, there's a very godly person. Every single family member who lost someone forgave this person. I just wonder, would we do that? Would you, on the third row, would you do that? Did somebody killed your father or mother, especially a, a white person or a black person. So th there's just two things to see. The, first, our text teaches us there's the problem of division. 
there is in this world, which I would say that there's division. I mean, in our own families, for crying out loud. I mean, we go take communion every Sunday. And you're divided with your own spouse. But education will not solve this problem because it attacks the mind. No government, no education can bring us together because God is after the heart, not the mind. He's after our heart. You've been, you've been reconciled. I've reconciled you to me. Open your eyes. The fields are white under harvest. Well, this is uh, not hard to see in our text. Paul says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called, and this is what the Jews called them, the uncircumcision, the unclean people. By what is called the circumcision, who uh, us, God's people, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at, this, at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Listen, the problem for all of us to a degree is alienation, isn't it? I mean, that's what we have in this world. Member against member, family member against family member. To feel left out. And many of us have experienced this great pain in our lives. You know, the husband uh, who leaves his wife out now. I just, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. I, I don't really want to know who you are anymore. She feels alienated. Or the husband uh, who, who is trying to figure out what does it mean to be a husband. And, but down deep he knows he's disappointed his wife because she sends that message and he feels alienated. We see it everywhere. But the Bible talks a lot about alienation. It speaks of the worst alienation of all is that I'm telling you, if you do not, if you're not a born again Christian, if you're living in your flesh, maybe you're a moral person. Uh, maybe you have a conscience. Maybe you sit here and want to debate me uh, if you're visiting today intellectually, and I'd love to do that at some point. But the Bible says it's because you want to be your own Savior. And you're alienated. Now, what was happening here? And how do we do this? Well, specifically, at that time... It's talking about the Jews who are supposed to have reached the nations. Do you understand that? Because when Adam sinned, everybody in here, you're dead in Adam. I'm telling you, the whole human race is corrupt. We're dead. And we, we make excuses. The woman you gave me made me do it. The devil made me do it. And, and so, but... But God calls a people to himself. He is gracious. He is willing to receive any who are here today who would come to him in faith and repentance. But because we won't, he makes a decision 
to enter into a covenant in Genesis chapter 3 that I will send a Savior to this depraved group of people who are always fighting and who are always more concerned about themselves than they are about Parkview. And so he enters into this covenant of grace that there would be this mediator who would die for his people, the church. But in the Old Testament, it was first manifested to Abraham. Why did he call Abraham? Do you know why? I'm telling you, in Genesis chapter 12, no one by this time was seeking God. He destroyed the earth. Noah had uh, his children. They had more children. Tower of Babel. Nobody believes. Do you understand that is the plight? And that's why our text, Paul saying, remember, remember, remember. So he calls Abraham. And the gospel is in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, when he calls Abraham, because Abraham was not looking for God. you understand that? Matter of fact, if you go to Romans 3, it said, there's none righteous, no, not one. There is none who seeks after God. So God in his mercy is seeking us. But you know what God told Abraham, the Genesis, John 3, 16 of the Old Testament? That through your lineage, to Israel, all nations will be blessed. And so God calls Israel, he gives them the law, and then he gives them all these ceremonial laws to make his people different. Not like all the pagans who were burning their children in the fire, uh, who lived in absolute depravity, in absolute um, sexual immorality. In fact, Romans 1 Anytime God begins to remove himself from a culture, we go right down that same hole, don't we? But let me tell you what the Jews did. The same thing that religious people do who say they believe the Bible, but they don't believe the gospel. You know what they did? They turned it against the Gentiles. We're God's people. And so when Paul here talks about how through Jesus Christ the middle wall of partition has been taken down. There was this wall that the Jews could go into the temple and into the courts for Jews. But then there was this five foot thick wall that they discovered. uh, They discovered it, uh, uh, confirmed it in the scriptures about a hundred years ago with a sign on that wall that they discovered that said Gentiles enter at your own peril of death and your death will be on your head. And that's a great way to reach people. That's great evangelism. They didn't care about the nation. And matter of fact, what you find out in the Old Testament is God called them to be like him, but they became uh, not interested in not only the nations, but they weren't interested in God. They were, they were not interested in God's grace and his mercy to them because of that. And therefore, everything, we turn it, everything is alienation. Now let me, let me before I end on this point, to go, go to the last point and then give application. Uh, there is this universal principle that we all do that, don't we? We take the good gift that God has given. God has given them the covenants. Uh, God had given his spirit. And what they did, they turned it in on themselves. It was a great gift. And you know what? They began to look down their nose to everybody else. I mean, I, listen, I, I, I think we can do that. The same thing in our own Christian families. We're so committed to the Christian family, it's more important to us than the family of God. And then our children, let me tell you, our children don't get the vision. 
for what Christianity is. They think being a Christian is, okay, don't smoke, drink, or chew, and go to church every Sunday, and go to youth group. Rather than, than seeing us as a family, this part of the family of God, which is through adoption, that we're part of this universal church. Let me ask you something as members of Redeemer. Is that pretty awesome that we're members of the church universal? Wasn't that great to be there Wednesday, Thursday night and have uh, someone from Uganda and somebody from Rwanda and uh, where's the other one? Malawi? Singing psalms to us, our brothers and sisters. Is that awesome? But let me tell you how we do it. We do it all the time. Maybe you're not a Christian, you're here. But you're an educated person. And so you do the same thing. God has given you a gift. Let me tell you, if you're educated, chances are it's because there's a good chance because you grew up in a good family and education was important. And so you go off to school and you get educated. And then if you get a college degree, you hang out with people with college degrees. And then if you get a master's degree or a PhD, uh, then you just start hanging out with those people. Or if you're a, if you're a physician that's here, then you just start hanging out with physicians. And we do it all the time. I don't care what the situation is. We look down our nose. We're divisive people. Why? Because we take the good gift that God has given to us, we make it an absolute, and then we look down our nose at people. Now imagine what it would be like to be a person who feels that way. We do it. I, you know, uh, we, there's the healing place used to be down here. And it, it's the, it was the bottom rung of our society. The people who, who got kicked out of other drug houses. And so I go down there and do a Bible study. And the first, time, the first Bible study I did, I said, hey, look, y'all don't know me, but I, let me ask you, who are the self-righteous people in here? And they started looking at each other like, they said, dude, do you know who we are? <laughs> I said, yeah, you're probably a bunch of self-righteous people. And I said, uh, let me ask you this way. I said, how many of you just got in the program within the last week and they raised their hand? I said, now how many of y'all feel like the guys that have been in the program for six months are looking down their nose at you? And they all just started laughing. Why? Because we take a good gift. And rather than being humbled by that gift, uh, we use it to separate ourselves. That's just a principle that's there. Well, what is the solution? Well, it's not going to be education because you know what? Educated people can be the most elitist. Look down their nose at everybody. Uh, you know, I, I know there are people here at Redeemer, and you know, they don't have a college education, and sometimes they'll come talk to me, and I'm not saying it's anybody else's fault that's here, but it's hard for them. I mean, I probably have people here that ought to be teaching Sunday school classes because they're very gifted at teaching, but they feel like, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have a college degree. I'm telling you, when I came to Athens, everything we've done with downtown ministries is to build bridges so that we can be in relationships. And we worked hard at it, haven't we? But I see a handful of African Americans here. Now, again, I think we're positioned to, uh, to have a, a huge impact. And I think we are through downtown ministries and downtown academy. But what is the solution to this? Uh, well, the solution uh, it, we see in verse 13 through 16. And let me read it, and let me make a comment about it, and then let's get some application here. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Here's what the Apostle Paul is trying to say. We destroy things. We destroy relationships. Um, that's what Adam and Eve did. They, they didn't submit to the goodness of God. They went about being their own saviors to do what they wanted to do. How many of your parents realize that sometimes when you do what you want to do, that affects your children? Or let me ask you some of your children, uh, a high school student or junior high, I guess. How many of you, and if you haven't been listening, you listen to me now. How many of you destroy your family's relationships and there's hostility in your family? Why? Because you're mad at that person. You're mad at what your dad did. Your dad at what, mad at what your mom did. I remember one time a girl at Vanderbilt, she came to me and, you know, she was all upset and uh, I'd never met her in my life. She was crying the night before the RUF and I thought she was crying because she was going to be repentant. She said, can I talk to you afterwards? And I said, sure. And she came to my office the next day and and all of a sudden she started telling me, my dad did this, and my mama did that, and my brother did that, and my school teacher did this. And every time she'd say that, and she said, and God is not fair. And God is not fair. And I'm telling you, I was ready to walk out of the office because I thought lightning was going to hit. But I, I just said, time out a minute. I said, you don't want God to be fair. If you were to get what is fair, you would get what you deserve. And there's no one in here that doesn't deserve whatever's happened at some degree. I'm not saying all things. I'm not saying that you're because you did. But, but we are destroyers. But here's the gospel. We build walls, don't we? Wall, 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 wall. But our text tells us that Christ came in his body and he destroyed that middle wall of partition. Because he's made us all one together. Because he was destroyed on our behalf. That he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. So before I come to the application, let me just say this. Um, this is why the gospel can bring reconciliation. So let me ask you this. Have you ever repented of your sin? And come to Christ and experience forgiveness. The power of the Holy Spirit who's made you clean in the blood of Jesus Christ. Then you know what? We have one Father. I don't care if you're Chinese. I don't care if you're black. I don't care if you're white. I don't care if you're poor. I don't care if you're smart. I don't care if you're not smart. We're all one. We have one Father. Do you think about that a lot? But to understand that God and, we, and God is calling a people to himself, that he is adopting people from all over the world, that is an awesome thing. That's the only solution. 
So application. Uh, and I don't have much time for application, but I'll say this. Do you know we have a lot of opportunities to bring racial, racial reconciliation, to be involved in the lives of other people? Do you know we've been doing downtown ministries, downtown academy, for 13 years? You know why we created all the football programs? It's now we've got about two, 200 kids, probably more than 200 kids. They have a swimming club this week, I found out. Teaching kids how to swim. Football, basketball. Saturday mornings, I tell you, if you don't coach, we need lots of people on Saturday mornings to help us cook hamburgers, to take up money, to run the chains. But is our mindset, these are avenues so I can get involved in the lives of people and minister Jesus Christ to them. Your money, your time, downtown uh, academy, we need what we call lunch buddies. We need tutors. And so we have this great opportunity because we've been reconciled to Christ to do those things. Close with this. The church, Emmanuel, AME, in Charleston, South Carolina, our brothers and sisters in Christ have demonstrated to us, the church universal, what being a Christian really is. Why? Because I tell you what, I guarantee it, they have learned the art of knowing to be in a constant state of forgiving those who ignore them. And so they've been in the practice of it. So praise God. May we be one and may we reach, uh, and, and reach others uh, that are outside our spheres of influence. So pray God.